0: Did you ever wonder why a search engine result for undocumented workers in North Carolina provides links to worker rights sites, while a search for illegal aliens in North Carolina would lead you to immigration concern sites? Do you know that Wikipedia entries for women have a higher rate for recommended deletion than entries for men? Today's episode of Stats and Stories focuses on information literacy, including insights related to parallel internets, algorithmic silencing, and so much more. I'm John Baylor. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me on the panel today is Regina Nusso, professor at Gallaudet University and freelance science writer. Rosemary Pennington is away. Our guest today is Francesca Tripodi, professor at the UNC School of Information and Library Science, a senior faculty researcher with the Center for Information Technology and Public Life, CTAP, at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, an affiliate at the Data and Society Research Institute. Tripodi is a sociologist and media scholar whose research examines the relationship between social media, political partisanship, and democratic participation, revealing how Google and Wikipedia are manipulated for political gains. Dr. Chaprodi testified before the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee in 2019 on her research, explaining how search processes are gamed to maximize exposure and drive ideologically-based queries. The Washington Post, The New York Times, The New Yorker, The Columbia Journal. Journalism Review, Wired the Guardian, and now Stats and Stories are (laughs) are covering Francesca's work. Uh, So Francesca, welcome, and we're so excited to have you join us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's really fun to be here today.
0: Great. Well, to start our conversation, I'm just curious, what was the career path that led you to study how, how we consume and engage with media?
1: That's a great question. I'm a sociologist, so I started looking at social problems and issues of power within society. And I'm also, by background, a communication scholar. And I lived in Los Angeles for a while, so I was really obsessed with media. (laughs) And kind of looking at the intersection of these three things is what got me going on my research track. Once upon a time, an advisor stopped me and said, you know, you actually ask sociological questions. And I didn't know what that was. So I went back to school and got a Ph.D. in sociology.
2: I'm a little curious about your work with Wikipedia and gender inequality. So you have a paper about that. What's kind of the the big take home? What did you find out in that study?
1: Absolutely. So the paper title, I think, says it all. It's called Miscategorized. And the paper looks at how women who have biographies on Wikipedia, which is already a minority of biographies available on Wikipedia, are more likely to be flagged as non-notable subjects and nominated for deletion than men who have biographies on Wikipedia. And I looked specifically at English language Wikipedia, which I think is really important to note.
2: So what happened when they are flagged for deletion as a woman who has a Wikipedia page? Um, do I need to be concerned about that and going and defending myself? What, first of all, what did notability actually even mean? What's the definition of that?
1: That is an excellent question. So Wikipedia notability is criteria used within the community to determine whether or not a topic deserves a Wikipedia page. And for people in particular, that notability is determined regarding whether or not independent outlets, whether that be a newspaper or, for example, an art gallery, has featured information or artwork or content about the subject. So for example, for professors, my research itself does not constitute notability. It's whether or not my research has been the subject of independent investigation from myself. Does that make sense?
0: So so could you just take one step back from this and talk a little bit about how an entry even shows up in Wikipedia in the first place?
1: Sure. That's a great question. So Wikipedia is a uh, website that anybody can use. So anybody can put up an article about somebody on
0: Wikipedia. <laughs>
1: um not about um, themselves,
0: right? You couldn't put that up about yourself.
1: I cannot technically. So there are, you're right, there are issues of conflict of interest and also regarding neutral point of view. And so an article is assessed based on notability, based on whether or not it is written in a neutral point of view. And if I'm writing an article about myself, clearly that creates a conflict of interest in which I can't Myself determine that I'm notable. Somebody else has to determine that. Um, but anyone can write a page about somebody else on Wikipedia. I, I would like to also clarify this is a huge problem on Wikipedia because PR firms are constantly trying to add people or organizations or actors, for example, onto Wikipedia that are completely irrelevant subjects in the and and Wikipedia is really trying to differentiate itself from the yellow pages, for example. Um, and Wikipedia is also very widely used on search engines like Google. So they want to protect um the content that's up on Wikipedia because they want to have themselves known as an encyclopedia and as a very credible source of information. And so Uh, This is part of the story that I'm really glad I get to tell. Deletions are important. Uh, Establishing notability is important. But unfortunately, because of these widely held gender biases, women tend to be perceived as less notable subjects overall, not necessarily because notability or deletion is quote unquote bad.
2: Isn't there a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy here? So uh, if you have a Wikipedia page, then you're more likely to be featured independently and to meet the qualifications for notability And this.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and the self-fulfilling prophecy goes even a little bit deeper than this. So some really great researchers have already shown that the qualifications that establish notability are inherently gender bias. For example, if you're relying on the news to cover a subject or you're relying on a book to cover a subject or an art gallery to cover a subject, there is so much work that shows that uh, men are more likely to be featured and also this intersects with race. You know, we know that white men in particular are more likely to be featured in these spaces as experts or in art galleries. And so it's it's most definitely a self-fulfilling prophecy. What unfortunately my research shows is that even when women are able to meet all of these hurdles already in their way, they are still more likely to be seen as less Relevant or less notable subjects than their male counterparts, and this is just based on peer review of people who volunteer their time for Wikipedia.
0: So, so what kind of data did you did you collect and analyze as part of the study? How did you accumulate this information, and how do you do, did you do this comparison?
1: Right. So I'm I'm really excited to be on a podcast sponsored by statistics because I myself am a sociologist, but my research is highly qualitative. I'm an ethnographer by, I guess, trade, if, if you will. And so my research started with ethnographic observations of editathons. And editathons are these like small meetups of people that get together and try to do things like add women to Wikipedia. And I was going to these editathons and I saw that persons being added during these editathons were being deleted sometimes during these editathons. I would do interviews with persons who had volunteered all this time to come to the editathon only to find out that something they added was deleted after the fact. And the frustrations were really palpable amongst these volunteers because they had put in a great deal of time and energy to try and close this gender gap. And for those who might not be familiar, the gender gap is very widely documented fact that of the millions of biographies available on English language Wikipedia, less than 20% of them are about women. So there are these editathons that are there to say, hey, let's close this gap. Let's get this representation up there. And so during this ethnographic observations, I started documenting what seemed to be like a very clear example of, of gender bias happening just kind of in real time. Unfortunately, when I brought these concerns to peer-reviewed journals or to uh, other Wikipedians, uh, qualitative data has a difficult time being believed. And so uh, many people told me these were anecdotal stories or my favorite review, and this was from a a top-tier academic publication, told me that maybe these women just weren't notable or that these people that were editors were just being too sensitive, which of course is like very gendered language and made me really angry. And So instead of just scrapping the project, I partnered with an extremely talented data scientist who is at UVA Scholars Lab. I I was afforded a dissertation fellowship through UVA Scholars Lab. And this amazing uh, data scientist, Eric Rochester, wrote a script for me. And we scraped all the articles for deletion on over a 10-year period. And then he filtered them based on biography. And then I partnered with another computer scientist here. Actually, an undergraduate who helped me with a script to data match um, with Wikidata so that we could look at the pronouns used. That's how we identified gender was based on the pronoun used either within the article or within the discussion of the article. And then I just did basic descriptive statistics to see, well, are these proportions matching up? And then I did a chi-square analysis to determine that the these were statistically significant um, proportions that we were seeing. So I did a little bit of statistics. I, I, I dabbled.
2: Of, of course, we love this. We love any kind of statistics. I feel like I have to ask a question, and uh, maybe I'll sound like the peer reviewers, you know, that were trying to shoot down your uh, your original paper, but were all of these articles about uh, current living people or recent history? Um, Because unfortunately, we don't have that much information about women in all of history, right? So I was wondering if that might explain the gender difference there. Sure.
1: So in terms of what I was looking at, I think it's helpful to explain what I was focusing on specifically. Within articles for deletion, any article can be nominated as just usually the criteria is non-notability, specifically with biographies. And then, I, and then I looked at the decision rendered. So after an article is nominated for deletion, it has roughly seven days where people who edit Wikipedia and basically anyone can put their feedback about whether or not the article should be included or not. And then I looked explicitly at articles that were kept. And so what i classified these as as like, whoops, um, these shouldn't have been here. These are people that do meet our notability criteria, but they were miscategorized, right? MIS categorized not MS period like like the title. So these were just miscategorized or like the very professional term these are whoopsies in the database like oh they shouldn't have been here and we need to put them. we need to make sure they stay up on Wikipedia. And then I did an analysis within those keeps, right, to determine, well, are the are the whoopsies equal? Because you're absolutely right, Regina, right? You know, I mean there are all these factors that could go into whether or not someone may or may not be notable. Um, the extent to which they've been <laughs> professionals is a big one and and living biographies are much more challenging to keep on wikipedia because you might not have established yet your notability but what i wanted to do is kind of control for that as much as possible so i looked exclusively at these keep the keep phenomenon to say are the percentage of whoopsies equal. And you know, the null hypothesis hypothesis there was if there if no gender bias exists, then the proportion of biographies whoopsied or accidentally nominated for deletion should be roughly the same for men and for women. And that's where you know you're seeing these like major discrepancies where uh, and again I don't think these are people out there like saying, oh, I'm going to go out there and delete all the women. <laughs> I think, unfortunately, the sociologist in me says, well, these are these are studies that we've shown in controlled experimental settings, like the famous one, right, is the resume test, where people get the exact same resume, only it's like a woman's name and a man's name, and they're more likely to say, oh, these men are more qualified or more notable or should get the job. And it's kind of replicating these same studies in a in a non-experimental setting. Does that help answer that
0: question? Because I think that's a really good one.
2: It did. That was great. I'm convinced now. Thank you. Okay. okay. Yay! <laughs>
0: Well, you're listening to Stats and Stories. Our guest today is sociologist and media scholar Francesca Tripodi. We've had guests in the past on the show who've discussed inoculations or other kinds of interventions for misinformation. Uh, and, I, and I've been thinking about this, this issue of parallel internet that emerges as a consequence of searches. And in fact, I even did searches like I had mentioned and you had suggested as part, it, that I mentioned in the intro to this the program, but also you've mentioned in some of your publications. So I'm I'm just curious, if you can can first talk a little bit about this 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 bifurcation, or actually it's probably more than just two, but but these kinds of different paths that search firms of similar concepts may lead you to, to find and other ways that we might be able to break out a little bit of, I, I think you've called it in other contexts, your ideological dialect that might be part of your searching.
1: Sure, yeah. So this kind of notion, the fact that we're living in these parallel internets, came out of a report that I did through Data & Society back in 2018, I believe, 2018. (laughs) Um, And what I was doing with this work, again, was ethnographic work inside of uh, two Republican groups where I came to their monthly meetings and I went to various organizational functions with them and then did interviews. And I started talking to them about, what, where do you go for information you can trust? And how do you decide what is trustworthy information? And at the time, this is when um, the NFL protests were really gearing up in, in response to Black Lives Matter and, and in response to Colin Kaepernick's uh, protests. And this was also in conjunction with the president. At the time, President Trump had put out a lot of really public statements saying, these protests are having a negative impact on NFL ratings. And I think there was one tweet in particular that said, NFL ratings way down. right? And I got to thinking about that. And so I just did what I thought anybody in my study was doing. I googled it, NFL ratings down. And I got a lot of information confirming confirming this idea that NFL ratings were down because of these protests. And then I thought, well, what if I didn't agree with what he had to say? What if I Googled something different? So I did the same start, NFL ratings, and I wrote up at the end of it instead of down. And it was an entirely different set of stories confirming this logic that even though, and it was what was interesting about these stories was that they were showing that yes, NFL ratings are down, but not because of protests. These have been falling in response to safety, and these have been actually falling for some time. Um, and so, by digging through this information return, I, I walked away with an entirely different. I could have walked away with an entirely different position. And so then I started thinking, well, how does this manifest itself in? in more entrenched concepts. And this is actually a research project I'm starting right now. So I talk a little bit about it in my book, but the way in which our returns are highly shaped by our ideas. And this is driven by my own just like queries of saying NFL ratings up, NFL ratings down, or the example that you provided, undocumented residents, North Carolina, illegal aliens, North Carolina. And again, time and again, these returns are very different, and it's because that's how the internet works, right? So <laughs> we are obsessed with this idea of these highly personalized returns, and I've had multiple conversations with Google. One of these are actually a, a CTAP podcast where we feature uh, the these executives at, at Google who go on record saying, you know some of this stuff is tailored. Um, obviously if I'm googling for sushi, they want to, they want to return things in my area or else it's not relevant. Uh, but the, these, these the role that keywords play uh, is a major driver in the kind of information returned. And people who want to exploit this, I mean, this is just basic search engine optimization. <laughs> you know uh, these are not these are, are not even like secrets. If I Google Doritos, I'm not going to get returns for Cheetos. I'm going to get returns for Doritos. but these these ideas are actually much more baked into ideological positions, ideological dialects, and so are
2: highly manipulable.
1: Um, and this is a, a project i'm I'm continuing to work on. I'm starting right now.
2: So the thing that struck me when you were talking about this idea of NFL ratings up versus down is just what words are available in the, in the news articles. And I'm wondering if leading from that, we should, when we're doing these searches, be a little like scientists and um, search for things that we think will support whatever idea we're interested in, but then also search for things that might Go against it, right? Should we be searching for the opposite?
1: If your desire is to understand what someone like you, like not like you, might be reading, I think that is a fantastic solution. <laughs> you know, I think we often, and this is this is, relates back to information literacy. I think um, people who are spreading problematic content understand the way the internet works and are tagging their content with very specific keywords and phrases. And so, if you see information on something like Facebook or Instagram, and then you go to a search engine and you search for those same phrases that you saw on Facebook or Instagram, you are likely to get the same exact content that you saw on Insta or any of the social media apps or Twitter. Um, and, And that's regardless of if you use DuckDuckGo, if you use Bing, if you use Google, it doesn't matter which search engine you're using because search engines are... Ultimately, programmed to return content based on metadata, which is just a fancy way of saying you know computers don't speak the same language that humans do. They and so you have to tag content in language that computers will understand so that it can return relevant information. Um, but yeah, if you're interested in understanding how others might be um, looking at a topic or thinking about a topic. Consider how your search terms are really driving the information that you're going to get.
0: You know that, So all of a sudden now I find myself wondering if there's a research project here in natural language processing where if, if you had given a prompt such as a, a, a key, some phrase in a, in a keyword search, if, if maybe one of the things that was, you may also want to try this search that would be kind of you know the if you had given this argument like you had in the example of of illegal aliens that maybe you'd say undocumented worker perhaps or something you know where it would actually generate a second mm-hmm. Or or second or third or others, just to kind of help with that, because I because I mean, in some sense, it's you know I think you use the language of these filter bubbles and popping filter bubbles. I love I love some of the images mm-hmm. you used, and I, I mean the title of your paper. I mean I'm just I'm just thinking I'm really jealous of someone that's framing something so beautifully. So th- so well well done on that. But yeah. but but I, but I do think that that in some ways what what you're suggesting is one of the ways to 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 combat this potential this potential bias that we bring to the search word phrases that we use is to some to find some ways to help prompt kind of other other investigations
1: sure and so and so search engines could of course provide these prompts although they are unlikely to intervene in anything ideological because you know i think the important thing for us to remember is that these companies are, in fact, companies that sell our data to make money. <laughs> they aren't actually invested in like making our lives these amazing things. And so, yes, of course, they could provide these. I think they are less likely to intervene in ideologically driven queries and, and the ways that these parallel internets form in conjunction to them. You know, Eli Pariser actually is the one who created the concept of a filter bubble, Although for him, he talks about how it's really algorithmically driven that these, because they have these vested interests in keeping us on their platform for as long as possible, they aren't going to show us stuff that makes us mad or that we're disagreeing with because they want us to stay on them. And what I'm arguing is like, yes, but also the onus is in part on the individual as well in terms of the way that we start our queries. In my book that, that's coming out in a couple months, I talk a lot about just something really simple like the sky is blue. And so if you Google the sky is blue, you're going to get blue images. But say, I don't think the sky is blue, and you you Google the sky is not blue, you get this really fabulous article from NASA that explains to you how the color of the sky is based on um, the atmospheric chemicals in the air and it's going to change regardless of what you're looking at. Uh, You know, Google the sky is red and you get articles confirming that google the sky is green you get information about how the sky turns green before a tornado so it's fascinating because i think i I just i think you're right in that um, there are interventions that these companies could participate in if in fact uh, they wanted to Rile us up a little bit, and or we're really invested in this process. But I think more likely the key is for us to just consider a little bit about how those are shaped. I also really want to mention, and I, I don't want to dominate the conversation, but I think the big thing to to pay attention to is that these these tactics are are being used by people who are trying to spread misinformation. and And that's where I am seeing some platforms trying to intervene, right? So when there is this very explicit, Form of misinformation that that is dangerous. You know, um, I, I am seeing people within these platforms saying, you know, we don't want we don't want to to be a conduit for this. We do actually want to create meaningful interventions and and having these kinds of prompts that say that key word is super specific, <laughs> and that key word is really only being talked about by by a small small portion of. All the information out there um, hopefully will nudge people in a direction to think, well, why is that that only a small number of people are
2: my mind is kind of blown by this, and now I want to go redo all my Google searches with the the word not in there at least. What what sort of tips would you give someone like me if I wanted to uh, make sure that I'm I'm getting all sides of something, and and not just maybe overtly political things, but just things in general, like you were talking about with the sky is blue, should I be including not, for example? What are some other tips?
1: That's a great question. And I've been very fortunate to work with some extremely talented researchers in this area. So Mike Caulfield, he's at um, University of Washington. He has created what's called the SIFT methodology for evaluating information online, uh, S-I-F-T, which stands for stop. Um, make sure you know, like, before you get going on your claims, like, start to begin with. Eyes investigate the source, who, trying to understand what the agenda is behind the information that you're looking at. Find trusted coverage. So. Scan to make sure multiple sources are, are, are looking at this topic and, and you know, just um, look beyond the first few results and then trace to the original. So trying to figure out quotes and media sources, is that being clipped out of another story and are they intentionally framing that information in ways that are inaccurate? So I would definitely say he's a great person to go to in terms of a wonderful way of thinking through that.
0: That's a it's a great framing. Uh but, you know before we we come to a close I wanted to give you a chance to to just tell us a little bit about your upcoming book. What's you know so this is the <laughs> Is this the the propagandist playbook that, that perhaps yeah, that we're yeah. hearing so we're hearing happened. alluded to? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Definitely, yeah. So the the propagandist playbook um, is uh, my book examines what are the some of the seven tactics being used to manipulate search engine optimization and spread content with the goal of enhancing um, political participation in a nefarious way. And so I think about the ways that cultural complexities and the way that different groups engage with and make meaning of information is specific to different communities. So I think about how conservative groups um, engage with information literacy different than progressive groups. And then I look at the ways in which those strategies of media literacy are then exploited by political elites, media elites, in order to sell a very specific message. And then a lot of what we're talking about, um, how the internet can be seeded with misinformation, and then directed directed people to it. So I refer to this as the IKEA effect of misinformation, and it stems from uh, business business professors who looked at IKEA effect to say that people become really invested in that low quality coffee table if they put it together themselves and you can even see this sometimes on craigslist right someone puts together this very low quality coffee table and then tries to sell it for fifty dollars because they're like but i made it and it's so great and i'm seeing these same strategies play out in um, in misinformation campaigns where they activate this idea of don't trust me do your own research but they've seeded the internet with these keywords and these concepts before telling people to do their research. And then when people do their own research, very mindfully and um, not just because they're tricked by someone saying it, right? They're out there really trying to read more about it, but just quite frankly don't understand how how their returns are, are given to them. And we're, we've been taught that these first returns are somehow of higher quality, but they're really just matching those phrases as closely as possible and and so my book kind of digs, digs into that
0: well, that's, that sounds like it's going to be a, a great read. So, thank, thanks for, uh, for telling us a bit about it, and thank you for taking the time to join us. I'm, I'm afraid that that's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Francesca, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. It was really fun.
0: Yeah, for us too. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, or other places you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net and be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.